feel like Gordon Bombay would have taken his career to even further heights. Everything's flashy, everything's cocaine, everything's fun. Open wide for some soccer! I don't care what you think about, what your personal thoughts are at home. I care that you hate the Cowboys. Welcome everybody to the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm Chris with Dom. We have a special guest here today. Um, Before we get into that, please follow all of our YouTube, Instagram. Give us suggestions, which we are going to get into some fan suggestions coming up. Um, Yeah, we're just trying to get those numbers up. And then we are on part two today. But Dom, please give our guest the intro that he deserves. All right, everybody. Uh, If you watch part one, we have a very special guest, uh, one of my oldest and dearest friends from Tucson, Arizona, uh, Mr. Dave Davis, Red Sox enthusiast, which perfect for these two episodes, and uh, an example of someone who, if you suggest episodes, we will do them. He is the person behind our Al Order episode, the one behind our Billy Fisk episode, and a couple of others. So if you have ideas for content for us that you want us to research and produce for you, yeah, just tell us and we'll do it. Like, follow instructions too. Like, follow, subscribe, all our social media. But yes, you can do that and make this podcast more awesome like Dave has. So uh, where are we at now, Chris? Well, we just dropped off at the uh, Red Sox winning the 1912 World Series. We're coming back to the 1913 season, and uh, the Red Sox pick up a couple of players in this offseason, right? And they, they, they essentially strengthen their team. They strengthen yeah. their team, but not necessarily in the standings, which is kind of strange. Right. Uh, in, in 1913, they actually fell all the way down to, to fourth place as the Philadelphia A's, led by their famous $100,000 infield, uh, not only captured the American League pennant, but they won their third title in four years. But in 1913, the Red Sox did make a critical ac- pitching acquisition in the form of, of Dutch Leonard. Uh, his rookie year, he only went 14 and 17, uh, you know, kind of indicative of, of the Red Sox slide that year. Uh, but then going into the 1914 season, 1914 and the offseason of 1914, they actually made a number of very important uh, uh, acquisitions. Pitcher Rube Foster. Yep. Uh, who they, they picked up uh, uh, at the beginning of 1914. And uh, in 1914, he and Dutch Leonard went 1-2 in ERA. Dutch Leonard in 1914 posted the lowest ERA in the history of, ma- of the modern era of Major League Baseball at .96. So for all of you who think that Bob Gibson's 1968 at 1.12 is the lowest all time, it's not. Dutch Leonard, .96. And he was doing it from a non-raise pitching mound. Yeah. <laughs> Rube Foster that year. Went uh, had an ERA of, of 1.70, mm-hmm. which is not shabby by any stretch. No, that's... And in a rookie year, you know, 1.70 in a rookie year, and he went 14 and 8, not a bad if year. If a rookie threw a 1.7 ERA for a season now, it would break the internet. Mm-hmm. For baseball, at least. The baseball internet. Yeah, uh, a couple other important acquisitions that they, that they made uh, during that time period. Uh, at the end of the 1914 season, Connie Mack became... Jeffrey Lurie, 80, more than 80 years before there was a Jeffrey Lurie, when he basically dismantled his A's powerhouse, uh, including selling uh, second baseman Jack Barry to Boston. Uh, it's like the Marlins every time they win. Yeah. Every time yeah. the Marlins win, it's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, we're open for business, but I don't want to be traded. You, you'll get traded and like it. Uh, another important person that they, that they added during – two other guys that they added during this time period, Del Gaynor uh, and Dick Holbitzell, who ultimately platooned at first base. And this was at a time when you really didn't have platooning. But well, we'll ex- talk about platooning with a certain someone later in this episode. Yes, we will. But uh, believe it or not, uh, he actually learned that from Bill Kerrigan. Exactly. Uh, but uh, uh, Holbitzell, uh, kind of an interesting character. He started his career in Cincinnati. Uh, and during the offseason, he went to dental school. And so he actually, during the, after he actually graduated from dental school, during the offseason, he was a practicing dentist. Well, and what happened uh, later down the road with his dentistry? <laughs> yes, the, uh, the U.S. Navy decided we could use you. But uh, uh, needless to say, it, it, it's not surprising that uh, his teammates called uh, uh, Dick Doc. <laughs> but the, uh, another important person that they added, and this was a guy that I really didn't know anything about, uh, Del Gaynor. Uh, he, he started his career in Detroit. Uh, and actually was a pretty good ball player, but uh, uh, he, broke a, he broke his wrist, and there were complications in the healing process, and it really took him a couple years to get back to normal. But in 1911, Tiger, the Tigers owner thought that his loss when he went down with the injury by, as, because of a hit-by-pitch, it cost the Tigers the pennant. Uh, and that's not me. That's the Tiger owner saying, this guy was critical for us. Uh, uh, and needless to say, in that 1915 season, 
uh, again, in a platooning capacity, uh, 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 Del Gaynor did hit 295, uh, eight triples, five doubles, uh, 29 rubies. And again, he's platooning with Hoblitzel, who actually had a pretty good year. He went two, he had 283, 15 doubles, 12 triples, two homers. Their OPS combined that year was 131. Yeah. Which is, you know, really, really good. Uh, and going into that 1915 season, uh, in spring training, yet again, Tris Speaker decided that uh, he wanted a holy war in the, in the clubhouse. <laughs> He'd had enough, and the ownership was not taking kindly to any of this and either. And once again, he Bill starts, Kerrigan, yep. in spring training, beat the everlasting hell out of him. And apparently, that actually kind of ended the, the religious schism. Now, one reason why Speaker had such a problem, in the 1913 season, Red Sox manager, the Red Sox ownership fired Jake Stahl midway through the season. The Sox were not doing well, and they elevated Kerrigan, who was one of their catchers, to become the, the manager. And, you know, Speaker apparently was very, very good friends with, with Stahl and did not like the move. Plus, Stahl was a Protestant. Kerrigan was a Catholic. And yep. so you had that. And he really didn't like Kerrigan kind of being, you know— in a position of authority. And Kerrigan, when he beat the hell out of him in the spring training, 1915 was basically like Cartman. Respect my authority. <laughs> well, it was very much like I'm manager now, but I'm still at your level of like, I'm still a player. We're still going to have this out if you're going to, which I thought it was interesting. Like reading that, I was just like, and then he beat the shit out of him this one time. And you're like, Oh, he did that twice. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was such a thing. And the, like what they said, it wasn't like a, a quick dust-up. They were like, no, no, no. He, like, really lumped them up. How like, many guys in the locker room were just like, this again? I, yep. I, yeah, I can only imagine Hooper and Lewis going, oh, All right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then having to go to church for uh, for blasphemy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, but that, that 1915 season, the Red Sox went 101-50-4. And again, the ties, you know, because of no lights. Yep. So, you know, games ending in, in, in darkness. Now, offensively, Boston was not nearly as, as strong as they were uh, in 1912. Their but, pitching and defense, though, were, uh, again, the outfield yeah, is still intact. We and, talked about And offensively, it's not like they sucked, uh, but uh, uh, they were second in hits, third in runs. Uh, they had the fewest strikeouts in baseball. They had the second highest batting average in the American League at 260, and they were actually third in on-base slugging and, and total bases. Uh, speaker uh, uh, that year hit 322. With a 416 on base percentage, but interestingly enough, his slugging was actually yeah, five points lower. I, I had read yeah. that. Yes. Uh, he also added 25 doubles and 12 triples. Now, by the end of that year, Red Sox man, the, the Red Sox had actually been sold again. Uh, 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 McAleer had sold his his shares to Joseph Lannon, and ultimately Lannon uh, acquired John Taylor's shares, and so now Lannon was the sole owner of the team. Okay. Uh, now. Lannon, Lannon in, well, actually, there's also one other thing from 1914 we do need to bring up, and that is, to, to, uh, to Lannon's credit, he made a deal with Baltimore for the acquisition of two pitchers and a catcher. Yep. And one of those pitchers was Ernie Shore, <clears throat> excuse me, who ultimately was part of the, the, the teams that, that won in 15, 16, and 18. Threw a no-hitter because of yep. one of the other pitchers. And, <laughs> and the other pitcher was a 19-year-old named George Herman Ruth. He wasn't the babe yet. No. That wimpy deer. <laughs> yep. he, uh, he, he paid $25,000 uh, to, 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 to the Orioles. Now, this was not the Baltimore Orioles of Major League. They were actually a, a minor league team at the time. Uh, they also threw in a catcher uh, named Egan, uh, who never did anything uh, as far as I could tell. Uh, but within, uh, within uh, one week of, of purchasing Ruth's contract, uh, they threw Babe out onto the onto the mound in 1914, which is amazing. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> now, uh, in 1915, Shore and Ruth and Dutch Leonard and Rube Foster were all they were the anchors of the rotation. And and which was the year with the 27 up, 27 down, where Ruth was it was it 15 or was it uh, one of the other years? Uh, no, that was actually uh, uh, that was actually uh, uh, 1917. Okay, uh, all right, uh, and. When we get to, even though the Sox didn't win that year, there are there's a there's good, a good story about that and uh, uh, another one from 1918 about Dutch Leonard, but the rotation in in, in 1915, these guys were solid. Uh, uh, they Foster, were tearing it up. 19 and eight. Shore also went 19 and eight. Ruth went 18 and eight with a 2.44 ERA. 
Dutch Leonard, 15 and 7, with a 2.36 ERA. And Smokey Joe Wood, in only 23 starts, went 15 and 5. Now, people might ask, why did Smokey Joe only have 23 starts? Well, in May of 1913, in a game against the Tigers, uh, he, went, he, he went to field a, a bunt, and the grass was wet, and he slipped and fell, and he broke the thumb on his pitching hand. And to be fair, that thumb never really healed properly. It took him longer between starts to, to get over the pain, uh, and he just was never the same guy. He lost, he lost velocity on his fastball. I mean, the reason why he was called Smokey Joe was because... Because he, he had the fastball yeah. that was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Walter Johnson actually said that, that he thought that Smokey Joe had the, the best fastball in the American League, and Smokey Joe thought, no, 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 Walter's just being nice. He's got the best fastball. <laughs> Uh, but there was also another guy in the rotation uh, uh, who, who they, they'd brought up uh, in, at the end of 1914, a guy named Carl Mays. Oh, yeah, okay. Now, Mays, only, Mays went 6-5 and five that year in a, in a limited number of, of innings. But Mays ultimately had a damn good career. Five-time 20-game winner. Uh, he twice led the, the league in saves. He twice led the league in complete games and in shutouts. And, uh, and they weren't even recording saves right, back in the day, right. which is so crazy. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, in 1914, Dutch Leonard, and this is going to be important uh, uh, with relation to both Speaker and Cobb going forward five years from now, from then, uh, in a game against the Tigers, he beamed Cobb, not in the head, but he put it in his ribcage. Well, yep. Cobb didn't like that. Now, apparently a, a mini brawl broke out on the field. Not bad, but, you, you know, we've all, seen, we've all seen this, you know, the dust-ups. Well, later in the game, uh, Cobb intentionally laid down a drag bunt to, to force Leonard uh, to, to, to field it. And when Leonard did, Cobb intentionally spiked him. So That does not sound like the Ty Cobb that I know. Yeah, no, Dave. no, no. That, that is, is definitely out of character. Yeah, Isolated yeah. incident, yeah, the, which... The, the guy who, who had a habit of actually sharpening his spikes with a nail file. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. Why, yeah, the Cobb. greatest citizen yeah. in baseball history. <laughs> the greatest man of his time, Ty Cobb. <laughs> Now, the, the, uh, the, the rotation, uh, they were second in ERA, shutouts, saves, fewest hits, second in runs, second in earned runs, second fewest walks, third most in strikeouts. Surprisingly, they're, complete game, they're only fifth in complete games, which, you know, that, that seems a little odd. But uh, everybody had complete games. But everybody so had I, complete, I bet yeah. you the gap between yeah. top yeah. and least amount is not that much. Yeah. Now, offensively... Uh, the Sox were third in runs, second in hits, second in doubles, fifth in triples. Home runs really went down into in, in seventh. Speaker didn't even hit any in 15. No. Yeah, no. He, yeah he, had, he did have 12 triples, but at 29 stolen bases. But uh, uh, ultimately, Boston actually ran away with the pennant that year. Now, that year, in the, uh, you know, they faced the Phillies in the World Series. They're, at, they're playing Philadelphia in the Baker Bowl. And right. Harry Hooper as another. He always see, he had kind of mediocre regular seasons. And then you get to the World Series when the years that they are in them. And you're like, wow, where did this guy come from all year? Not only did Harry Hooper uh, have the first at-bat as a Red Sox at Fenway, he led off every World Series game that Boston played in the 1910s. Now, there are a couple of little interesting things about the 1915 World Series. It uh, was the second straight year in which the two cities were represented. Only the teams the opposite were teams. Yeah. Holy shit, you're right. Yeah. That's oh, pretty awesome. Yeah, because in 1914, the A's were swept by the Boston Braves for yeah. the Braves' only title in Boston. Come on, Mets. You're yeah. due for one. You're due, Mets. You're due. <laughs> President Wilson attended game two and threw out the ceremonial first pitch, and it marked the first time that a president of the United States attended a World Series game. The Phillies won game one of the World Series uh, behind a masterful uh, pitching performance by future Hall of Famer Grover Cleveland Alexander. Same amount of wins as Christy Mathewson, who we brought up in our previous episode. Now... 1915 marked a run of three straight years where Alexander won the National League pitching triple crown and three straight years where he won more than 30 games. He won 94 games between 1915 and 1917. Jeez. And in his seven years with the Phillies, he won 190 and threw nearly 2,500 innings. I mean, you think of greatest pitchers in that franchise's history. It's Steve Carlton and him, right? I mean, like, yeah. it's, and it's, yeah. it's running, going away. Now, when Alexander won game one, the Phillies would not win another World Series game until 1980. <laughs> Jeez. They're booing Mike Schmidt. Where's the frenetic? Let's talk about steroids, everyone. Let's talk about steroids. Thrown in the game. 
The games in Boston were not played at Fenway. They weren't. Yeah, I did. I did see that, which I thought was yep. really interesting. They were. They were played at Bracefield because they could get a larger attendance. Oh, Ruth. Did not pitch in that he World Series. He did not. Series. No, I, I saw that in the uh, baseball reference. He did get an at-bat as a pinch hitter. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, home field was determined by a coin toss, and the Phillies won that. I don't know if uh, we talked about Duffy Lewis before, but it said he was the only guy to ever pinch hit for Babe Ruth. I thought that was so awesome. Yep. That was such an awesome little spiderweb stat. I had to throw that in with Ruth like pinch that. hitting. The first four games of the 1915 World Series were all pitching duels. Uh, uh, the Phillies won 3-1. Alexander beat Ernie Shore in, in game one. Uh, in game two, uh, Rube Foster defeated Erskine Meyer. He threw a three-hitter, no, gave up no walks, retired the last 10. And he even had the game-winning RBI in the ninth inning. I mean, talk about helping yourself. Oh, I know, yeah, right? <laughs> now they don't even let him hit anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you got Shohei and then, no, 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 no nah. hay. No. In game three, Dutch Leonard... Gave up three hits, one two to one over Grover Cleveland, and he retired the last 20 in a row. And Duffy Lewis again won it for Boston in the ninth inning on a single. And in uh, 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 game four, Ernie Shore back on the mound for Boston, beat uh, uh, George Chalmer two to one. Uh, I can't believe, though, in those days, Alexander would pitch games one and three. If you saw that in Major League Baseball now, you'd be like, what are you, good God, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, remember, in 1905, Christy Matthewson yeah. pitched one, three, and four. <laughs> now, Boxy, what are you doing? That's, that's pretty great. One, three, and four is a great... Yeah. Now, uh, uh, the Red Sox closed it out in game five in a five to four win with, yep. uh, with Rube Foster winning. Two dingers, though, Harry by Hooper, the right fielder. Harry Hooper that's became right. only the second person to have two home runs in a World Series game, the first one being Frank Home Run Baker in 1911. Uh, I love uh, how they called him home run. That uh, I mean, he was the league leader in home runs like every year, but he, still. He did have 96 for his career. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the Red Sox outscored the Phillies 12 to 10 in that World Series. It's the it's the smallest run differential yeah. in a five-game World Series ever. Well, what to bring this up day. about our boy Duffy Lewis? He had 444 in that series. I was just going to bring that up where he, he almost hit 450 and you're like, "Jeez, like yep. it, it's drove in five of the 12 runs." Yep. 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 Almost 50% of the runs. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Boston pitching held the Phillies to a 182 average in that in that series. Which, that, like you said, that really was a pitcher's duel yep. w- with that series where you, you could see that where it was very just so tight. 12 to 10 is ridiculous. Did want to bring up, though, about Duffy Lewis as well. After that offseason, he went back to San Francisco and was working for $750 a week on the vaudeville show. Oh, nice. That's we talked, priceless. But we talked about that in our way. Apparently, they did stand-up comedy in Oklahoma in the 20s. Yes. That's amazing. I love it. Well, in, in the, in the offseason, manager Bill Kerrigan... Yep. was expanding a movie theater chain in New England, primarily in Maine, but also in, in, in New Hampshire and, and Massachusetts. And that actually plays a role in, in what happened at the end of the 1916 season. Uh, the winner's share for the 1915 World Series, 3780 bucks for the winners, 2520 for the losers. Now, all of us today can go, well, you know, last year, you know, the Astros' share was over $400,000. You know, but 110 years ago, when you're making, you know, 3500 a year, that winner's share goes it's, a long yeah, way. That's a nice bonus. No, yeah. But how much did the trash cans get, Dave? <laughs> did they get any money? Did, did Oscar buy a new, more expansive? I don't know. Well, they it. need new trash cans that are dented up. Come on. <laughs> God damn it. And at the end of the 1915 season and going into the 1916 season... The, arguably the biggest controversy ever to hit the Boston Red Sox up to that point occurred, and it completely, involved, it completely revolved around arguably the greatest player in the game at that moment, yeah. Tris Speaker. And, well, we'll the, the well, golden outfield, I mean, you got Duffy's Clifton left, you got Hooper in right, you know. You just won a World Series. You, uh, the, the question I had, because obviously we get into this with Speaker in this off season, but it just says like he had this salary dispute where there had to have been so much more than that. Where I, I'm actually interested to hear what insights you have on it, because it's well, to, 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 now people need to understand 
the 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 position of Red Sox management yes. at that moment. Now again, new ownership. Uh, yeah, Joseph Lannon. Now Speaker had hit 386 in 1912, 363 in 1913, 332 in 1914, but only only 322 in 1915. So they thought he was n- declining. Yeah, Joseph Lannon. Uh, 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 you know, 70 years before Dan Duquette said, or 80 years before Dan Duquette said this of Roger Clemens, uh, uh, this is what Lannon basically said of Tris Speaker. We believe that Tris Speaker is entering the twilight of his career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that and, did not happen. And, he made Cleveland good. Yep. Yeah. I didn't even know they still had a team. <laughs> yeah. He paid the league memo, minimum. Uniforms and everything. It's great. Now, Lannon also thought that Speaker was overpaid. Now, People yep. have to remember that this was the day and age of the reserve clause. And the Federal League was a thing when he had signed his previous yep. contract. So to prevent him from going to Brooklyn as a player manager, they were paying him eighteen grand yep. a year. The Federal League had offered Speaker 60000 Yeah. 60000 which, you know, everybody's jaw dropped at that. And that's why, that's why the Red Sox ponied but up like the 18000 But any rival league that will spring up will just say, we need guys. Here's yeah. money. Here's like a dump truck full of money. Yeah. In contrast, Joseph Lannon told Speaker, I'm willing to give you $9,000. Mm-hmm. And Speaker was like, go to hell. I'm not signing for 9000 I mean, again, he was regarded as the and, – and the Sox had cleared a $400,000 profit for the 1915 season. Uh, so it's not like they didn't have the money. But apparently uh, uh, owner Lan- the owner, Joseph Lannon, spent the entire offseason complaining about the size of the payroll. Oh, gee, like we don't hear that from ownership today, do we, guys? But, but no, like if, – and if you think about it, it's not, it's not only the fact with that. And you're coming off a World Series when part of it is, yeah, we want to save some money. But I think part of it is they were probably sick and tired of all of the crap that he was creating between his teammates. Like, that's what well that's what you don't hear with the sports writers because they were yeah. so integrated in these clubhouses where it's like I wonder if it had to do more of like do you guys want this guy to come back cuz we're going to really give him a, a deal that he's 100% going to say no to because just just the oh, thought yeah. of coming off of a world series win and being like we'll pay you half of what we are paying. I we know you're still one of our great best hitters, if not our best hitter. You're the best defensive center best, fielder in the yes, league. Yes, that's the thing. It and but, so that's what I was kind of wondering was there like this this inner, you know, clubhouse thing where they were like, "Nah, we're ready for to get speaker out of here." And you know what the money yeah. part is probably that's the excuse you use yep. as opposed to going, "This guy is an asshole with Perhaps some ties to some unsavory organizations, which we can't bring up on this podcast for fear of YouTube strikes. Yeah. Now, when when Speaker actually got the contract at his home in Texas, he simply refused to sign it. Please yes. tell me he peed on it like Roger yeah, Dorn's contract. I can't answer that one, but uh, I can. Easily... I don't want to do any calisthenics near Duffy's Cliff and Left. I, I, can, I, don't, I, can, I shouldn't have to do I can, it. I can see maybe him using it to like light the stove in, in the house. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, in spring training. Uh, uh, the Sox held spring training in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And he was holding out. And he was holding out. Now, uh, he actually did show up to spring training, but uh, apparently he and Kerrigan were, for whatever reason, apparently they had like you know, kind of ended the holy war between them, and they were they were soaking in a mineral in the in the hot springs together, the mineral springs, basically taking a bath together, like separate tubs and all that. And, you know, not to someone be, use a motorboat yeah. motor like yeah, yeah, major yeah, league, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The yep. and Steve Yeager and 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 Ker- Kerrigan told Kerrigan told told Speaker, hey, we can give you ten, and and Speaker was like, I want fifteen. Yeah, and Kerrigan was like, I, well, I'm gonna have to talk to ownership about that. Well, they continued talking. And Speaker agreed to play spring training games on a per diem basis. Oh shoot! Could you imagine the MLBPA today? Oh, the MLBPA would—they would—they would. Oh my god! They'd lose their minds. They would lose their mind. Now, apparently, after the soak, Kerrigan went to Lannon and said, hey, "He wants 15." And Lannon said, "I'm not going to pay him any 15,000. I'll trade him first. Now, this is where all of a sudden Cleveland pops into the into the scenario. Best move. In that franchise's history, I would say. Yep. Uh, Ed Bang, a sports writer for the Cleveland News, heard of the contract dispute and contacted the Indians general manager, Bob McRoy. Now, the Indians had no idea that that speaker was potentially available. Uh, McCroy called the Cleveland Indians owner, Jim Dunn, and told him they could get speaker because Lennon didn't want, like him, and was, quote, willing to sell any player for enough money. 
Ooh. Interesting. Now. Sell it. Men of their time. Yeah, selling uh, hey, players. Hey, hey. God. Now. Hold on, let's be fair. Is that any different than what goes on today no. with, with trades? I mean, exactly, you know, I'm you know just saying. this is the one thing about baseball, folks. Everything that happens today has happened at some point over the last 150 years in baseball. Guys get traded for washing machines. Yeah, exactly. Now, <laughs> we really needed a washing machine. <laughs> Jim Dunn called Joe Lannon, and uh, uh, Lannon told him that he was trying to re-sign Wood uh, and he had told, he'd specifically told Smokey Joe that they'd have Speaker back because he figured, well, I might lose Wood if oh, yeah. I lose Speaker. Well, uh, 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 after a spring training game in which Speaker hit the game-winning home run, Lannon told Speaker that he'd agreed to his terms. Well, it's not nice when, when your boss lies to you. That's But terrible. that's exactly what Joe Lannon did. That night, Speaker gets a call from, from Bob McRoy of the Indians to meet him in the hotel lobby. And Speaker's like, what the what hell? The hell? Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so Speaker, you know, puts on his clothes and goes down the hotel lobby. And uh, uh, McRoy tells him, you know, well, hey, would you like to play in Cleveland? And, and, and Speaker goes, no, I don't want to play in Cleveland. He goes, it's not a good baseball town. Is that you, Tolbert? Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then he said, well, I think the Sox, I think we can win another World Series. And that's when McRoy looked at Speaker and he goes, we bought you. And Speaker was just dumbstruck. There's I'm no, sure. there's zero no trade clauses yeah. in yeah. this area. This is the reserve. Yeah, you, your owner, the ownership could do whatever they wanted. Well, right then and there, Speaker told the Indians he threatened to retire. Uh, and uh, uh, McRoy said, "Hey, we'll we'll pay you fifteen thousand. We'll give you, we'll even give you more." And they had to, they had to deal fifty five k in addition to Boston yeah. just to acquire him along with some yeah. other players. They got they got Sad Sam. Yeah, the Red Sox got Sad Sam Jones, who actually ends up on a couple of the all time Red Sox pitching lists. Yeah. Fred Thomas and fifty five grand, and that fifty five grand, folks. Well, it seems peanuts today. It was the biggest money deal in the history of baseball up to that point. When Speaker found out about the fifty-five thousand, he wanted ten thousand of that fifty-five thousand. Oh yeah, and he didn't the want it from re- the Indians. He wanted it from Red Sox management. I, yes, I did read that. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and Joe Joe Lennon told him basically told Speaker, "Fuck off." Yeah, of course. For lack of a better word, of course. Well, it the situation got just deteriorated to the extreme. So much so that AL President Ban Johnson stepped in. I read that part and told Lennon, "Give Speaker the ten grand." And and Landon was like, I don't want to give him the ten grand. Why should I give him the ten grand? And 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 Ban, ban Johnson was like, Look, we got to get this out we of need the press. It. Yeah, we, this, this, this just isn't working out. You know, come on, you know, do what's right for the game. He needs to play in Cleveland. Just make him play there. Yeah. Like, so ultimately, Joe Landon, you know, in an absolute moment that he probably detested, gave Speaker the ten thousand dollars. Oh God. Now. This is what Speaker did his first year in Cleveland. He ended Ty Cobb's run of nine consecutive batting titles. He led the league in, in batting average, uh, slugging percentage, on-base percentage, hits. Uh, just had a phenomenal, phenomenal year in Cleveland. And not only a phenomenal year in Cleveland, he had a phenomenal rest of his career in Cleveland. Yep. They won a World Series in 1920 where he's player, player manager. manager. Now, in addition to that, I did want to bring up before the famous trade – of Babe Ruth down the road. This was viewed as an even more yep. devastating blow to the Red Sox because, you know, Ruth, an awesome pitcher, still a young yep. cat. Speaker was baseball in the mid 1910s. I mean, if it's not Cobb, it's Speaker oh, at this yeah. point. Red Sox fans lost their minds over this deal. Uh, because again, as, as you point out, Ruth wasn't Ruth yet. I mean, and, and nobody had the foresight to know. Because nobody, nobody knew that in 1920 that that the dead ball the, the era dead ball would era was end. Be over by just tightening the 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 way that the yarn was wrapped around it's the like cork and they, the ball. They sold an amazing pitcher who can also hit mm-hmm. on days he's not pitching. Yeah, but Speaker was arguably, and he was only 27 years old at the time. That he was, was in the his other peak. Thing. Yes. Now. And he played another, what, decade and a half? Uh, he played uh, uh, another 13 years. That's almost. what I mean, yeah. yeah. yeah he, retired, he retired with the Philadelphia A's in 1928. Now, this is the thing. With, this is your best, I remember. Speaker, speaker, as a Red Sox, has the third highest lifetime batting average of any Boston Red Sox player behind Ted Williams, who hit 344, and, and Wade Boggs, who hit 338. But could he drink all yeah. those beers That's right. on that airplane? Yeah. Speaker was a 337 hitter for Boston. In the 11 years that he played for the Indians, oh, he averaged 354. 
Yeah, three fifty-four. Are Definitely you in me? his twilight. Yeah. God <laughs> damn it, Landon! What are you doing? Well, it's just like Roger Clemens when 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 yep. Dan Duquette let Roger go. What did Roger do? Oh yeah, he just won back-to-back AL pitching triple crowns and Cy Youngs with Toronto. Perhaps exactly. had a little help, unlike Speaker, but at yeah. the time, men of their time in the nineties, yep. doing what they can. Now, it's absolutely, given, given how, how key an instrumental speaker was to the Red Sox offense, it's bloody amazing that Boston actually won the pennant in 1916. One last spyro about speaker, and Chris, I'm sure you looked it up, and I'm sure you know this and will enjoy this. When he was in Cleveland in the late 40s, it was his job to train a second baseman that we did an episode on to play outfield in Larry Doby. Now, and I saw that, and I remember thinking, I was just like, what a great outfield like person for, for Cleveland to be like, yeah, 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 we're going to give you this guy to train you on how to be an outfielder. Like, just like the spatial awareness, all of that stuff that he has. You were just like, yeah, that is a... I don't this know. This guy's you know, named the Gray Eagle. Yep. I you I say yes to everything. I don't remember in in that in, in your podcast on Larry Doby if you guys noted that uh, when Doby retired and Cleveland had a parade for him, Yeah. Doby had Tris Speaker in the back of the convertible. Did he him. really? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's yeah. dope. I didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, and, and he also referenced Tris Speaker's help in becoming an outfielder in his Hall of Fame I induction saw the hall speech. Of, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, Speaker, there is there there there. We don't know if Speaker was actually a member of the KKK, but he certainly had clan proclivities. Ties. But the weird thing is, is that Speaker's two closest friends were actually Jewish, and his wife was Catholic, and wasn't married, she? And he married yeah, a Catholic that. girl in Cleveland, <laughs> Mary Frances Cudahy. And not only did he marry her, he married her in a Catholic ceremony in a Catholic church. Do you think Kerrigan went to that wedding? Number one and number two, did they ask him to leave because he was laughing so hard? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so he was in the back, cracking his knuckles. Yeah, like I, I would like. What to, was that, Tris? I would. Like, I do. I would like to think that that with the case of Tris Speaker, it shows that people even later in life can evolve and can become a better human being. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just a just strange juxtaposition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that. That was what I found as I'm reading, and then you get to the, like his post baseball career, and yep. you're like. Wow. Yeah. Someone yeah. did an about face. Yeah, seriously. For the positive. Now, speaker speaker's disappearance from the Red Sox offense is certainly reflected in their AL offensive ranks but in that, 1916. But that pitching staff with a young Bambino. Yeah. Now, they they went from they 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 fell to fourth in batting average, seventh in on base, fifth in slugging, seventh in triples, six in runs and six in hits, but as you pointed out, the pitching staff was absolutely lights out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ruth went 23 and 12 and led the league in ERA that year with a 1.75 ERA and and had nine shutouts. Dutch Leonard went 18 and 12 in 1916. Uh, Carl Mays, who by all accounts became a very good pitcher, 18 and 13 with a 2.39 ERA. Ernie Shore went 16 and 10 uh, uh, with a two with a 2.63 ERA. And Rube Foster. A 306 ERA and, and 14 and, and 14 and 7 record. Now with Mays, Mays apparently was a very surly guy. Uh, uh, everything I read about him, great pitcher. He was actually like I, I don't know if you guys ever knew or heard of Kent Colby, the the relief pitcher for the oh, oh the guy with the glasses and the sidearm yeah, side yeah, style for the late 70s Pirates. Right. Yes. Carl Mays actually kind of was one of the first guys that had that sidearm delivery. Did he really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, 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 and and unfortunately for 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 Mays, he became, he's also linked to the only death on field death in baseball. The history. Ray Chapman one. Yeah, yeah. When he was pitching for the Yankees against the Indians. Ironically, against the speaker led Cleveland Indians, the team, team that later won yeah. the World Series in 1920. He hit yeah. he hit Chapman he, in the head. Yeah. Uh, and Chapman's last words before he went unconscious was, "Tell Carl I'm okay. It's not his fault." Uh, uh, and then Chapman died two days later in the hospital. Uh, but Mays was a, a a devout Methodist, and like Christy Mathewson. Or four decades later, a Sandy Koufax. Koufax would not pitch on Yom Kippur. Yep. Carl Mays would not pitch on Sunday. He was so religious, he would not pitch on Sunday. Man, if I'm a manager, though, I'm like, look, Carl, we need you, buddy. I mean, Jesus is great, but we need you, Carl. We need – we're at a two-game losing streak. 
Ruth, eating too many hot dogs. Carl, we need you. Yeah, you Carl. know I don't roll on Shomer Shah. Yeah, yeah, Come on. Yeah, exactly. You know, they know that down at the league. 5,000 years from Moses to Sandy Koufax. You're goddamn right I'm living in the past. Come on. Now, I, think, I think it... Christ. I think it actually was uh, in 1916. Now oh, I gotta find my notes on this one. Uh, uh, you were asking about. Uh, you were asking about oh, the, this one. Yes. Okay. Actually, Dutch Leonard did throw a, shut, uh, a no hitter in 1916. The, the shore. The shore Ruth game was actually the next year. Okay. Uh, 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 but uh, uh, the AL pitching ranks for for that 1916 team, the Sox were just lights out. Second in ERA, first in shutouts, first in, in fewest runs. Uh, they gave up the fewest homers, second in, in earned runs, second in walks, uh, uh, second in ERA with a team ERA of 2.48. I mean, this was a team, the 1916 team won the World Series not because of their offense, but because of that pitching staff. But you know who raked in the World Series and hit over 300? The two guys left in the outfield, Harry Hooper and Duffy Lewis. Yeah, now to be fair, uh, uh, you know... Uh, uh, the Brooklyn Robins, they're not even the Dodgers yet. You know, Hooper, Hooper hit uh, 271 that year, Lewis hit 268. Uh, but the leadership that those guys brought and the experience in postseason play, you just can't, you just can't underestimate how critical that was. But and, they're part of that first group that post-1903-1904 World Series, they're that first group that started coming up in the late aughts that, you know, your minus speaker, which is, you know, a death blow to any organization, but they're still there and they're still holding it down for the Red Sox. Well, and let's not forget Larry Gardner. Gardner yeah. actually led the team with a 308 average, uh, two homers, 19 doubles, seven triples that year. Uh, 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 Gardner, quality, quality player, and and also critical for uh, for that for that championship team. And but that's three World Series in the span of five years. Mm-hmm. That's well, and, amazing. And, and, and you're back year, to back. And that year they faced, uh, they did face the Dodgers in the uh, in the World Series. Now that was the first time. Uh, it was the first time that the Red Sox got to got, went back to back, and it was only the third time in baseball history that a team had gone to the World Series had won back to back. The others being the Cubs, uh, 1907-08, and uh, the the A's in in uh, 10 and 11. Uh, game two of that World Series, Babe Ruth gave up a inside the park home run in the first inning. Did not give up another run for the next 13 innings plus. That game went 14 innings. That was the longest World Series game until Game 3 of the 2018 World Series between the Red Sox and the Dodgers. Oh, that's cool. But what's crazy, you think, you think of Babe Ruth, you think of 60 dingers. You think of, you know, the house that Ruth built Yankee Stadium. And then you're like, that man pitched a 14-inning World Series <laughs> game that he started? And yeah. that... That start that game actually started a, a World Series scoreless streak of 29 and two thirds that was not broken until Whitey Ford in 19 in, in the, until 1961. We know what I find fascinating is what time did that game start? Because you know you're talking about darkness. How fast games in those days must have been? Like like a fourteen, yeah. You know like. You watch a baseball oh. game now; it's like a journey. It's even, like four hours. Yeah, even that. Uh, I, I did actually take a look at. Uh, I, I didn't write it down, but the length of time for that fourteen inning game, it surprisingly, was only like two fifteen. I mean, it was extraordinarily fast. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It is actually rather scary at at, at just how quickly uh, uh, that that game was played. Uh, the Sox only used five pitchers in that six-game World Series. That's why. You're not changing pitchers. Yeah. You're literally just, yeah. like, go, getting up. Yeah, it's... The ump will yell at you if you take one too many warm-ups. Like, yep. get back on yeah. the mat. Yeah. up there. It was the first World Series in which both teams recorded a save, uh, and that would not happen again until 1924. Uh, there were only three home runs hit, and only one of them actually left the yard. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. There were a couple of the Hooper ones in 15 that they were... At the time, home runs, but they like bounce, so like ground rule yep. doubles essentially. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in game one, uh, Ernie Shore defeated Rube Marquard, who the Red Sox had faced when he was a giant. Giant, in I was gonna say, yeah. The Sox were up six one in the going into the ninth, and Ernie Shore imploded. He walk, hit batter, air walked again, and that's when uh, that's when uh, uh, Kerrigan brought in Mays for the save. Oh shit! Uh, in game two, Babe Ruth took on Sherry Smith. Now. 50 years before the Four Seasons came into a, came came on the scene, I'm sure that Brooklyn fans were singing Sherry, Sherry, baby, yeah. That yeah. was a 14. That was a 14 inning. God, that's 
Oh my gosh. Uh, Del Gaynor, the uh, the platoon yeah. player with Dick Holbitzell, had the game winning RBI uh, in the 14th. In Game Three, the only game that uh, that that Brooklyn won, Jack Combs defeated. Uh, actually, no, sorry, Carl Mays actually won that game, uh, uh, four to three. Uh, uh, Gardner had a two run home run though, uh, and that was the game in which. In which, uh, actually, no, it is actually no. The the the, the Dodgers did. Win, sorry, the Brooklyn Robins did win that game. Pfeiffer went two and two thirds, yeah. perfect relief. Oh, okay. In Game Four, Dutch Leonard uh, pit won six to two over Rube Marquard. Uh, Gardner had a three-run home run inside the park home run in the second uh, inning, and that really proved to be the game winner. Uh, and then Boston closed it out in Game Five. Uh, Ernie Shore uh, beat Pfeiffer in an hour and forty-three minutes. He threw a three-hitter. Brooklyn hit 200 for the series. It's like a Greg Maddox game. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was oh, just, man. it was, it really wasn't fair. I mean, you know, the Dodgers were not a bad team, but I mean, this actually was uh, the first time the Dodgers had gone to the World Series. They would again go to the World Series in 1920 and lose to Tris Speaker's Indians. And, you know, as we all know, the Dodgers did not win a World Series until their eighth try in yeah. 1955 against the Yanks. May they never go again. <laughs> yep. The winner's share, uh, because these are always interesting, 3910 bucks for the Sox, $2,835 for the Dodgers. So, uh, uh, you know, nice bonuses. Uh, yeah, nice little bad. bonuses. Now, apparently, even back then, uh, 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 the top three uh, uh, teams in each league actually got postseason shares because this actually would come into play in 1919. Uh, 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 with the scandal involving Smokey Joe, yeah. Lord, Dutch Leonard, Tris Speaker, and Ty Cobb. Yeah. Now, 1919, that's never a year for baseball scandal. I, <laughs> this is the first I have heard about it. Go listen to episode three if you want to know what I'm talking about. Now, the Sox slipped to second in, in 1917 uh, behind the eventual World Series champs, uh, 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 the Chicago White Sox. But the one you know, really cool thing that happened that year... August 17th, 1917, Babe Ruth starts the game, walks a guy, promptly starts arguing balls and strikes with the home plate umpire, and he's joined by backup catcher Pinch Thomas, who also was arguing. They both get tossed. Well, Ernie got, Shore comes Ernie in. Ernie Shore comes in, and, re- and the guy on first uh, gets, gets, thrown, gets, gets thrown out Picked trying off. to steal second, yeah. and then Ernie Shore retired the next 26 in a row. They used to, they used to call this one a perfect game. Didn't they? Yes, yes, yes. And then, and then it, it has subsequently been reclassified as baseball's first combined no-hitter. Yeah, uh-huh. which is crazy because he didn't even record it out, but he, Babe Ruth still started the game. Still which, started and, yeah. and faced yeah. the pitcher. Now, I wonder to what extent the loss of Bill Kerrigan as manager led to Boston's second-place finish that year. At the end of the 1916 season, Kerrigan announced his retirement, and up until Terry Francona— Bill Kerrigan was the only Red Sox manager ever to win eight World Series games and two World Series championships. His father-in-law had died during the, the 1916 season, and Kerrigan had, been, had gotten married, and that year they all, he and his wife had had a child. And so Kerrigan had told Red Sox management, uh, even before, right before the World Series started, that if they won, he really was, pro- regardless of what happened, he was probably going to retire. Yeah. And so he did to take care of his, his father-in-law's business, but again, at the same time, he was expanding this movie theater chain in, in Maine and, and uh, New Hampshire and Massachusetts. And ultimately, he actually had like – he and his partners actually had more than 50 movie theaters. Now, to us, it's like he was like the Stan Katzen I was gonna of say. AMC right? 100 years before Stan Katzen. <laughs> That's really cool, man. Like, fuck. He, Kerrigan, Kerrigan ultimately sold his shares uh, of the movie theater chain uh, in 1924-25 for a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, jeez. Uh, and he was actually brought back as Red Sox manager uh, in 1927 – uh, he did not reduplicate the success that he no. had in the teens. Sure. As a matter of fact, uh, his Red Sox teams uh, in 27, 28, 29 finished last, and all three years they lost 100 games. I was going to say, those are, those are merged row Yankees. Yeah. Yep. That's the new era. But yep. Yep. Uh, uh, 18, though, was an interesting year because of, well, their roster's a little bit different, and not because people are getting in fights in the locker room, they're getting in fights overseas. <laughs> Yes, uh, the Red Sox lost numerous individuals uh, to, to World War I, uh, but at the same time, uh, uh, that pitcher, Babe Ruth, started playing more in the field. And who do we owe that to? 
Duffy Lewis, right? Harry Hooper. Or Her- no, Harry Hooper was Harry, the one who said he yeah, could hit. That's Harry right. Hooper yeah. Said, Harry Hooper had told uh, the the new Boston manager Ed Barrow, "We got to get this guy in the field. We have got to he, get he this can guy. hit. He can hit. Get he can this rain. guy a uniform." Yeah. Now, the Red Sox had also had an ownership change in 1916 when Joseph Lannon sold the club to Harry Frazee. And oh boy. In Boston, now in, the in Boston fun Red begins. Sox history, Frazee does not go down as, as one of our favorite individuals. Frazee is the other F word. Yes, uh, but at the time, uh, uh, Frazee was a Broadway producer, uh, uh, a stockbroker. He was a, a, a real estate guy, and he was also an agent and a producer. And a ladies' man. There yes. you go. But he, had done, he hired a guy named Ed Barrow to manage the club that year. I love this. You were now, telling me about this like a week ago. Ed Barrow had no managerial experience at all in either major or minor leagues or even like in high school. Yeah. He was actually he was actually uh, Harry Frazee's business manager. And for whatever reason, Just Frazee said, thought there you go. Yeah, this should work out. Yeah. <laughs> I want to live in a world where the owner of the Mets says I saw you in Cats. You managed my <laughs> baseball right. team. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But I've never played base. Doesn't matter, Mr. Mistopheles. Get out there and win a baseball game. That's right. Now, uh, uh, you know, they had, they had brought in Jack Berry from the A's a couple years earlier. And right before the season started, uh, they brought in Steffi McGinnis, who was another part of, of Connie Mack's $100,000 infield. Uh, uh, Stuffy was the first baseman. Berry was the second baseman. Uh, uh, and that year in Boston, Stuffy, you know, a solid year, 272, 56 ribbies, uh, nothing to, to, to light the fire about. Uh, Harry Hooper really kind of helped. Hooper and Ruth really were the offensive leaders. Well, I'll say this. Hooper's the only one left playing this year in yep. the million dollar golden yep. outfield yep. because Duffy Duffy was in the mil- Duffy Lewis was in the military. Chick Stahl had gone, had been in the military. Uh, Dick Holbitzel, you know, the dentist. Uh, he ended up being uh, in the Navy. The Navy. Yep. He, the Navy called him up that. about a month into the into the year. Oh no! And they said, "Well, we need a dentist. Yep. You're a dentist." So, and y'all people also need to understand that the federal government had issued the work or fight order, and that's ultimately the reason why prior to the COVID season, the shortest regular season baseball, the shortest baseball season of all time in a non-strike year was the 1918 season. The Red Sox won the pennant with a 75 and 51 record. Uh, it was the only time in, in history where the C, where the World Series actually was played entirely in September. That's oh that's yeah and they were they had a weird um format too like it was going to go like 3 and 4, right? Yep. Yeah. Because of, because of wartime travel restrictions. Exactly. Now, during that year, Stutch Leonard threw his second no-hitter for the Red Sox. Now, I bring this up because, one, he and, and Cy Young are the only two guys in Red Sox history to throw multiple no-hitters. Cy Young had a perfect game in 1904, which was the first perfect game of the modern era, and then a few years later he threw a no-hitter, another no-hitter. But in Dutch Leonard's no-hitter, 5 nothing against the Tigers on June 3rd, the home plate umpire was a guy, was Bill Deenan. Now people are going, well, what the, so who cares about the home plate umpire? Well, Bill Deenan was, on the, was, a, was a Red Sox pitcher on the 1903 team, and he won three games in the World Series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Did he really? In no way. Okay. Yeah, he actually was the one that, that powered the Red Sox to the World Series, the first World Series win Not young, over yeah. the Pirates. In 1909, Deenan retired from playing baseball. 17 days after he retired as a pitcher, he started umpiring. He was, he was the up. He became he umpired Major League Baseball for 28 years. He so his um, entire life was just baseball. Yeah, he like um, he umpired he umpired eight World Series. He wow. umpired the first. He was the, the the home plate umpire in the first All Star game. Now the weird thing about that first All Star game, the umpires actually rotated the the four yeah. bases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in 1953, he threw out the ceremonial first pitch in Game Two to celebrate the 50th anniversary of him taking the mound. In Game Two of the 1903 World Series. Oh my That's gosh, wild. that is that is the awesome spiderweb, dude. Yeah. Oh, and he was one, and and he was one of eleven umpires on the Roll of Honor inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Okay, he's not in the Hall, of, but he's on the Roll of Honor. And when Ruth and Shore had uh, their combined no hitter the year before, was he, he the ump in that? He, he was, was the, the one who was getting argued with. No, no, oh. he was no, he was the third base umpire okay, for that. Damn one. it! But I was yeah. going to say oh, that yeah. would have been like. It's just a, it's just one of those little interesting side notes that 
you know, this is the I, podcast no where they belong, yeah. Dave. Honestly, yeah. I had no idea about. I had no idea that Bill Deenan actually became an umpire. I mean, and I kind of know my history of the Red Sox, but I did not know this. Um, and so I thought that was actually kind of yeah, that's interesting. It's cool because yeah. I, mean, I can imagine when the game ended. Dean and looking and and Bill actually threw a no hitter for the Red Sox as well. Yeah, he threw the second no hitter for in Boston history. So there's something kind of appropriate about that. About that. But in 1918, just like in 1916 when they won, the it's Red the Sox pitching. offense was was off. It was well, really well, all that's left is Hooper and then Ruth yeah. playing on the, like the games that now, he doesn't pitch. To be fair, Ruth did lead the American League with 11 home runs that year. He hit 300. He also had 11 triples and 26 doubles. Now because chicks dig the long ball. That's you, true. That's the thing about Ruth. You know, we always we always forget that. Ruth actually at one point in his career could run. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. had over 170 career triples, and he did have over 150 career stolen bases. I mean, the Babe was – there's a reason why the Babe Ruth is the, is the greatest ball player of all time. And it's seasons like 1918 and then the next year, 1919, when he set the major league record with 29 homers, and then obviously what he did with the Yankees. Uh, but uh, 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 in, in but that, I mean, 18 World Series – they, they draw the Cubs. They draw the Cubs. And this is an interesting World Series because we've talked about it before. And Harry Hooper kind of comes into play because issues with the, the team shares, right? Oh, big time. Well, there, 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 are, there are several interesting notes about the 1918 World Series. Neither team hit a home run in that World Series. Yep. There have only been three World Series where that has never where that didn't happen, uh, and actually the Red Sox were part of two of them. I was going to say there's probably they're probably from the same fucking era of yeah. baseball. Yeah, the very first one. Yeah. Actually, the, the very first World Series, more triples were hit in that World Series than any other. I think it was something like eighteen. That well, I mean that's believable yeah. for the era that they're in. They scored the the, the two te- the the two teams combined to score the fewest runs in a six game World Series. They averaged the fewest runs per game for any World Series. It was the only World Series that I said mentioned played entirely in September. The players threatened to strike because of low gate receipts, and they and that was what their bonuses were based on. Yep. They decided for this series, and Hooper was kind of like at the head of it. And they sat out, I believe, before one of the games for like an entire hour before yep. getting it underway. And there was also, as we talked about in our Black Sox episode, rumors of players possibly fixing games in this one. Due to the shenanigans that were being yep. pulled by management. Yep. The, uh, the, 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 the home games in Chicago were not played at Wiegum Park. And people are like, what the hell is Wiegum Park? It's, it's Wrigley Field, it's Wrigley right? Field. Yeah, that was the name that they yeah. had because the old owner, Federal, right? No. It, or the Federal Park. It was, that was, it was yes. for the, yeah, they okay. built Wiegum Park for the Chicago Federal League team. But obviously Comiskey Park was bigger, so that's why the games were there. Yeah. Now, during the seventh inning stretch of game one, the band played the Star Spangled Banner. It was the first time ever that the Star Spangled Banner was played at a ball game. And you got to remember, this, the, it was not the national anthem yet. It wasn't made the national anthem until the 1930s. No shit. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Red Sox outfielder Fred Thomas did a military salute of the flag. And the next thing you know, the entire crowd puts their hands over their hearts and starts singing. That is the most America fuck yeah moment I have wow. ever heard. Yeah. And they're, they're still at war. It's not, yep. it's not November yep. yet. Yep. Nope. And as a result... Red Sox owner Harry Frazee made it standard at Fenway Park. Oh, going, interesting. Going forward, yeah. they, would play the Nash, they would play the Star Spangled Banner. During the seventh during inning. During the seventh st- inning stretch. Yep, yep. Uh, He's a showman, everybody. Yeah, that's cool. The Cubs and the Red Sox would not play again <sighs> oh. for 87 years mm-hmm. until June 10th, 2005 at Wrigley. Yep. They would not play again at Fenway for 93 years until May 20th, 2011. Now, the, the, the end of the 20th century, post this World Series, these yep. are the two most now, snake-bitten, star-crossed franchises in baseball. Now, Nick knows that, that when it comes to baseball, I'm old school. I hate this expanded postseason. I don't believe in wildcard teams, uh, and, I don't, and I absolutely despise interleague play. I, didn't, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, the only time the National League and the American League should face off is the All-Star Game and the World Series. Uh, that's it. So uh, uh, I would like to go back to that, but that ain't going to happen, and I know that. <laughs> but, Money. Because uh, uh, I don't care about the Cubs. I've always thought the Cubs are losers because <laughs> they've always pretty much been losers. No, not that one year where they got the kid with the broken arm yeah. and Gary Busey. Right. Well, in game one at Comiskey, Babe Ruth takes on Hippo Vaughn. Now, Hippo Vaughn was actually the – he won the National League Pitching Triple Crown that year. Mm-hmm. 
the year before, he actually is in another little interesting baseball news and note. In June of that year, of 1917, against Cincinnati, he hooked up with Fred Tony. The two of them each pitched nine-inning no-hitters. That had to be... It's the only time it's ever happened say, in that, baseball There's history. no way wow. that that's yeah. happened before or since. Vaughn lost his no-hitter in the bottom of the 10th after going nine and a 30. He gave up a couple hits and a run. Tony actually went three up, three down in, in, the, in the 10th to get his no-hitter. So, yeah. Uh, Duffy Jeez. Lewis... Stepped up again, got the game-winning RBI, got the game-winner in the fourth that scored Dave Sheen. Uh, uh, no, 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 Duffy Lewis, he was sorry, uh, Harry yeah, Hooper. Sorry, sorry, Harry Hooper, yeah. Yeah, because uh, Lewis was in the, the Navy. Game two, uh, Bullet Joe Bush of the Red Sox <laughs> took on lefty Tyler in a game in which the Cubs won 3-1. to one. Uh, Tyler only gave up six hits and actually got a two-run single in the second. Um, Boston's only run came in the, in, the, in, in the top of the ninth. Game three at Comiskey, Carl Mays dueled out-dueled Vaughn again. Boston won 2-1. Which wasn't on a Sunday. Yep, and that game, again, that was the weird one because normally they would have, you know, you know, changed ballparks, but because of wartime restrictions on travel. Oh, yeah, they had to stay they, there. They stayed in Chicago, mm-hmm. right. Uh, May scattered seventh hit, seven hits. In the fourth inning, Wally Shang and, and Everett Scott had back-to-back RBI singles, and the game ended when Charlie Pick was caught in a rundown between third and home while trying to score on a pass ball. Oh, shoot. Yeah. So it was an exciting World yeah. Series. It's the, the just Red like... Sox, the Red Sox have had some very interesting ways to end World Series games. I mean, remember in, in 2013... Uh, in game two, the Cardinals won. Yes, the the the, uh-huh. the, 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 the fielder's interference play, and then the next game uh, at at Bush, uh, Koji Uehara picked off Colton Wong to end that one. So yeah. there have been some weird endings to Red Sox World Series games. Uh, in game four at Boston, it was uh, Babe Ruth versus Phil Douglas. Uh, the Sox scored two in the fourth, uh, uh, and the Cubs finally ended Ruth's scoreless streak in the eighth. Uh, Bullet Joe Bush came on to get the save. Ruth batted sixth in the lineup in that game. That was the last time I was gonna say. a starting pitcher in a World Series did not bat ninth in the batting order until Zach Greinke in game f- hit eighth in game four of the 2021 World Series. Yeah, because Greinke could hit, and that was like all yep. the rage at that time where you would put an actual like <clears throat> batter ninth to – okay, so that makes sense. Uh, in game five uh, at Fenway now, unlike – <clears throat> Excuse me. Unlike the previous couple of years, where the World Series was actually at the Braves Field, uh, yeah. this one was actually at Fenway. Hippo Vaughn pitched a beautiful five-hit, three-nothing shutout over the Sox. In Game Six, Carl Mays took on lefty Tyler again. Attendance fifteen thousand. Uh, a Max Flack throwing error allowed Red Sox to score two runs. Mays pitched a three-hitter. They won. The Sox won two eighty to uh, two to one. The Red Sox had a 186 collective batting average. It is the lowest Jeez. batting average of any team <laughs> to, to actually win a World Series. The 1906 White Sox had the lowest batting collective batting average of any team in to the, get to I was the World say Series. Regular season, but yeah. the hitless wonders actually hit in that World Series against the Cubs. Yeah. Yeah. The two enough. teams combined for 19 runs. So literally three point, you know, three point whatever runs per game. The winner share. Now remember, in in just a couple years earlier, Sox players got nearly four thousand bucks for their winner share. In 1918, eleven hundred. Eleven hundred, and it was less than a thousand for the Cubs. Six hundred and seventy-one. And well, from what I had read, that was why the allegations of certain things were discussed because you're not getting paid, dick. Yep. Now, in 1919. Uh, the Red Sox finished six, even though Babe Ruth had a phenomenal year, uh, 29 home runs, setting a new major league record. The Sox were never able to, to, to recapture the magic. Carl Mays uh, was, uh, had started the year 5-11, and 11, and yeah. he wanted out. Mm-hmm. And the Red Sox were happy to oblige and him. In the next few years, you're going to lose Hooper to the White Sox. You're going to lose Lewis. I mean – this is the end. I mean, this obviously is. the final piece, but this well, is the end of. There were eight members of the Red Sox championship teams of the 1910s that won a championship with the Yankees in 1923. Mm-hmm. Ruth, Carl Mays, shortstop Everett Scott, Bullet Joe Bush, Wally Shang, Herb Pennock. Now, I never brought up Herb Pennock. Pennock ultimately is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He started with Philadelphia with the A's. Connie Mack dumped, traded him to Boston because he didn't like his attitude. 
But in 1915, 1916, Pennock basically spent the entire those two years in the minors in Buffalo. And in 1918, he didn't get the pitch because, again, the war he was in the war as well. Oh, okay. Uh, Mike McNally, a utility infielder, went to the Yankees in 23. Uh, uh, and Sad Sam Jones went 21 and 8 for the 1923 Yankees. So basically, did the Yankees just go like, "Look, well, Harry"? There's a there was another key acquisition that the Yankees made prior to getting all these players. At the end of the 1919 season, Ed Barrow tendered his resignation uh, for the Red Sox, and he was hired by the Yankees as. For lack of a you know, for lack of a better title, the the the, the president of baseball operations. So basically, sure. like a, a GM business yeah, manager sure. guy. Yeah. He was the one that arranged the trade, you know, Ruth for a dinette set and a hundred thousand bucks. I say dinette set because it was five players, so you know, four oh, chairs. Yeah, and, there you go. Yeah. No, and go, then well, you always like to say, you know, McGriff was sold for a washing machine. This well, man was <laughs> sold for a washing machine, and I will forever believe it. But, but yeah, Barrow knew all these guys. Yeah, and so those are the guys that he brought over. Uh, now these were these were just the Red Sox that won titles with the Yankees. Uh, Stuffy McGinnis ultimately won uh, a, a championship with Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and uh, that was his fifth world title. Uh, I should have mentioned that that Jack Barry uh, actually became the first guy in baseball history to win five titles when because he was on the, the three A's teams, fifteen oh. and sixteen for Boston, and he would have won a sixth in Boston if the war hadn't broken mm-hmm. out because he was another war casualty. Larry Gardner. Uh, Gardner won a title in Cleveland in 1920. I was going to say, and speaker, like we yep. brought up before. He, and, I so mean, did, and so did Pinch Thomas. These dudes were all champions. Yeah, like, multiple titles. And, and Wally Shang, he won, he won a title with the A's in 13. Sox, he won, a t- he won, he won two titles with, with, with the Sox. I'm sorry, one title with the Sox. He won the title with the Yankees in 23. And he went back to the Philadelphia A's and won with them in 1930. Jeez. Yeah. And then 86 years. Yeah, we don't need to bring that well, part I'm up. Saying, uh, I'm just saying, Dave, uh, it's amazing that they, they – but, the, but their baseballs – they think that's kind of what we wanted to talk about here yeah. today. Besides the outfield, this was Major League Baseball's first real dynasty. And a lot of it – and we brought up in our Black Sox episode, a lot of this is lost – to history and as far as the historiography of baseball. When you think of baseball in the early times, you think of the beginning of the live ball era and a post-Frizzee trade Babe Ruth to the uh, Yankees. So if you didn't know and you're really into baseball history, like seriously, this episode, I mean, like this is for you because it highlights baseball before everyone really wants to discuss it without it being a Ken Burns special. Yeah, see, you know, the, the Yankees of the 20s, People forget, yeah, they won six pennants, but they only won three World I was Series. Say, yeah, you know, they lost in 21, 22, and they lost in, 20, in 26. They won in 23, 27, and 28. Uh, uh, the Yankees uh, uh, only finally topped the Red Sox in terms of championships in a decade in the 1930s. Yeah. Uh, when they won, you know, they won in 32, and then they won uh, four in a row at the end of that decade. So. Definitely. Um, but Yankee fans, see, this is my issue with Yankee fans. They, they, they think that baseball only begins in 1923 when they, won, when they finally won their first world championship. And yeah. if you love baseball, one of the things I love about – look, I am a giant baseball fan. I love the game played between the lines. I love everything about it. I love the sound of the crack of the bat. I, I love – uh, hard slides in the second to break up a double play. I love great catches. I love Ty Cobb stabbing people. Yeah, That's right. Yes. But I also love the history of the game. Uh, you know, Nick and I both studied history at the University of Arizona. Uh, and I think part of, part of the reason why I love history so much is because as a little kid at Lawrence Ave Elementary School in Potsdam, New York, uh, I would grab all the books that they had on baseball, and they had this small collection uh, broken up into like the great players uh, of from like 1900 to 1910, 1910 to 1920, up up through like 1940, and so as a as a as a six and seven year old, I'm reading about Christy Mathewson and and Grover Cleveland Alexander and Honus Wagner. We told me and yesterday, Tris Speaker. Speaker. That's and Tris where Speaker. you found That's out about. I was introduced to Tris Speaker, and but as a kid in those books, the, you know, I saw the nickname Gray Eagle, and I was like, why the hell do they call him the Gray Eagle? It's because he was prematurely grain, and ball players who could outfielders who could get the balls were called ball hawks. So, Gray Eagle. I thought it was because he was so worried about all the Catholics on his team <laughs> and all the stress, <laughs> the stress caused. No, and, but and so you know, if you if you if you if if you love the game, I encourage 
all of you uh, uh, to, to learn about the history of the game because it's fascinating. You learn things like how Bill Deenan, the guy who won three games in the 1903 World Series, became an umpire and was the home plate umpire for a Red Sox pitcher who threw a no-hitter. Or how Duffy Lewis... In 1975, threw out the opening day pitch for the Sox, and he threw out the opening or the uh, opening pitch for Game Six of the '75 World Series, which was the Carlton Fisk game. In 1984, at a Red Sox old timers game, 94-year-old Joe Wood came out onto the field, and he was introduced as Smokey Joe. And when he stepped up to the mic, he looked at the bo- and, and the Boston crowd was going nuts. He was the last living member of the 1912 championship team. Yeah. And he just said, you have no idea how happy you've made this old man that some people in Boston still call me Smokey Joe. <laughs> and he, di- he did die the next year at age 95. Harry Hooper uh, was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in the early 70s. His son uh, uh, made this concerted effort uh, to win over the votes of the old-timers committee. It was the same thing that happened I had read with uh, Lloyd Wainer. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you check out that episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and, and when, you look at, when you look at Hooper's numbers, you may think offensively he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but when you look at what he did defensively and how he revolutionized the position of right field. But you look at his offensive stats post-ball getting wound, yeah. t- laces getting wound tighter, he ra- absolutely raked for the White Sox yep. after he was uh, like or traded by Boston. So I mean, it's it- yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, what do you, you know? This is a guy who did finish his career as the all-time leader in assists and double plays by a right fielder. And just he had like almost twenty-five hundred hits. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Then, to, to this day, uh, 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 speakers. When you, yeah. When I you mean, look at when you look at uh, 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 Harry Hooper's ranks with the Red Sox, he is still in the top ten. In games played, runs scored, hits, hit by pitch, walks, times on base, sacrifices, and he is the team's all-time leader in stolen bases and triples. Four only guy with four. And no, or I he mean, and Honey uh, Wagner, shortstop. They are the only two Red Sox players to win four championships with Boston. Duffy Lewis would have gotten a fourth had yeah, he been allowed had, to play. Yeah. Uh, of that team, of the of the players on the on those teams in the 1910s. Four of them are in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Trish Speaker, Babe Ruth, Herb Pennock, Harry Hooper. and Harry Hooper. Uh, ten of them, though, are in the Red Sox Hall of Fame, with six of them being inducted into the, into the, very, first Reds, into the very first class of the Red Sox Hall well, of Fame. you have to. I mean, that's, yeah. the, that's the first, and like we said before, it's the first dynasty in professional baseball. So that's, I mean, that's And for those of you who... Look, I know if you're a baseball fan and you've seen, you know, games televised from Fenway and you'll look at the right field upper deck and you'll see the, the Red Sox players whose numbers have been retired. And you may ask yourself, well, why isn't Harry Hooper's name up there? Because the Red Sox only retire guys who've been, who are in the Baseball Hall of Fame. The answer is simple. The Red no Sox numbers. didn't put numbers on the back of their jerseys at the time. And so what, Boston, what the Boston Red Sox have done is... Guys who, who went into the Hall of Fame before they put numbers on, on the backs of their jerseys or guys who, part, who played for Boston but did not and, and were in the Baseball Hall of Fame but did not do the majority of their work to get oh. to the Hall of Fame in Boston, they hang banners out on Van Ness Street for them. And so you will see if you go to, if you go to Fenway Park and you're on Van Ness Street, you will see a banner for Harry Hooper, for Cy Young, for Jimmy Collins, That's for awesome. Joe Cronin, for Jimmy Fox, for Tris Speaker. Um, First Sox players that, like you were saying, that yep. didn't necessarily make it through their through the Sox organization, or they came before. later, like Jimmy yeah. Fox. Yeah, like Jimmy Fox, who who yeah, did most who played, of his work. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one little interesting Athletics. thing about Van Nestry, the third owner of the Red Sox, John Taylor. He married a Van Ness. Oh, nice! And it is—is is he—is that family worth like eleven billion dollars? Uh, yeah, it's they're they're worth a, they're worth a pretty penny. But yeah, the the street is actually named after her family. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah, to, the, another little you know for I, those of you who live in Boston, say, I think we might end on that spider yeah, web because I really Dave, like that. I like. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming, Dave. We really appreciated yeah. having you. Make sure you listen, like, follow, and subscribe. And like, hey, if you are passionate about something and want to come on this podcast like Dave did today, please let us know. We'll put you on. And if you have any suggestions, let us know. Thank you. Yes, thank you all. And thank you, Chris and, and Nick, for having me on today. Oh, absolutely, yeah, buddy.